Good morning. Hey, thank you for being here this morning. If you and I have not gotten to meet face to face, uh, my name is Nathan, and I find myself continuing to say I get the privilege of being pastor here at West Bowles, and I'd love to meet you in the foyer afterward. But if you were to ask, what is the church and what is this church about? Uh, your answer would be above the doors on the way into the sanctuary here. And it's a thing that we keep saying that this would be a place where you can connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. And, you know, we pray that you experience even one of those on a Sunday, but when you experience all three, it really is an incredible thing, and we just think it's the best way to go through life as well. But as we began talking about it last week, um, there's, I think we all know somebody, or, or we've all experienced the difficulty sometimes of getting connected to church, to, to the body of Jesus. And I likened it last week to a, a personal story I began sharing with you. And if you weren't here, I'll recap for you. Basically, my senior year, I had a friend here from church. He said, Nathan, bring your swimsuit tomorrow. We're going swimming. And when we got halfway up to Golden and I realized we had passed like every single swimming pool in this area, I said, where are we going? He said, well, we're not exactly going swimming. We're, we're going to go cliff jumping into a lake. And it wasn't just like an eight-foot jump. This was a 35-foot jump. And I shared that was why that was a bad idea, because um, I am a sissy. I'm just an absolute sissy. I mean, I can remember coming up on the first time coming to the high dive when I was younger and going, I'm not doing it. And I did that walk of shame down the ladder, and all your friends are making fun of you. And I went, your peer pressure doesn't work right now. And I remember being in line for the roller coaster and my prayer life being so intense in getting out of the line. And for many, many people, I just believe that church is like standing on the edge of the high dive, where it's standing in line for the roller coaster. And for some people, that's really, really exciting. And for others, that's really, really frightening. And, and I was still reminded last week of, of what it was like. And if you live in the area here, you'll, you could probably picture this. About five miles from here, there is an intersection at Wadsworth and Ken Carroll. And if you are driving west on Ken Carroll toward the mountains at Wadsworth and you've got a green light, try this sometime, and you watch out for cops because all good advice starts with watch out for cops, and you're in the right lane and you're even just going the speed limit, there is a dip on the west side of Wadsworth on the, in the right lane that I'm telling you, just try it. I mean, it's enough adrenaline for like the next for me, like, year, okay? I mean, I have days I have to pull over and let my heart rate just normalize a little bit, okay? But for some people, that is what church is like. And I'll never forget, we pulled into the parking lot of this cliff jump, and my friend, after I lectured him about how terrible he was, and he's an awful friend, how could he do this to me? He knows that I'm, I'm just a sissy when it comes to this kind of thing. He said, Nathan, you don't have to jump. Would you just take a step? would you just take a step out of the car? And I went, okay, I can do that. I can do that. And when it comes to church, this is really what we began asking last week, is just what is my current relationship, my current involvement with church, and what would a step look like? What would a step over the, the barriers that we're really talking about one each week over this month what would a step over one of those barriers that keeps me from taking a leap into the church, what would that look like? And then to expand it, for as much of that as there is in here, there, there's infinitely more 
outside these walls. Not only how can I take a step over those, those obstacles and those barriers, but how could I maybe come alongside somebody and help them take that step? Because to be honest, when it comes to church, and many of you in here know this, going and getting involved into church is less like a step and more like a leap off of a cliff that you may or may not want to take. Because there's, maybe if it's your first Sunday here, I mean, it was, a, it was a leap just to come here this morning. And for others, you're on the other side of that, and you've been in churches for years, and there's baggage, and there are wounds. And getting involved in church is not as simple as just saying it. It is a leap. And so, over this month, we're looking at and looking at what God has to say and how God showed us a step over those barriers. Because a leap, a leap into the body, taking that jump off the cliff or, or um, you know, going west on Ken Carroll at Wadsworth, when you avoid it, you experience maybe what I did when I was younger and I backed off the high dive. I went, oh, I can't help wondering if I'm missing out on something better. And so last week, we began looking at the first of these barriers, and it was really simply this, that we all like to live in our own personal world of one. And we protect that world, and we, we try to maintain our comfort zone in that world. And we looked at what the wisest person outside of Jesus who ever lived had to say, a man named Solomon. And when we looked at what he had to say, we came away with this idea that I really just am praying is just underlying this entire series. That when it comes to the body of Christ, to the church, that being a part of is greater than, it's better than, it's more crucial than being apart from. Being a part of is, a part of is greater than being apart from when it comes to the church. And so today we're going to look at this next obstacle that every single person in here has, but that many outside these walls have as well. And, and we're going to look at something, but I've got to tell you the next piece of this story because I left you hanging last week. So we pulled into the parking lot of this cliff jump, and we go up this trail, and, and we're hiking up this trail, and we came to this clearing that was near the top of this cliff that uh, supposedly people actually jump from into this lake. And the, the, we got up there, and the worst possible thing, when you're scared, when you don't want to do something, what is the worst possible thing you could have in front of you? An audience an audience, and we got up there, and there were dozens of people, and I remember, have you ever watched, like, rugby, specifically New Zealand? Okay, sometimes I see um, people post on Facebook, like, these tribal chants that these rugby players do, and this guy, I, I'm pretty sure, at least I remember it this way, he was, he was probably just had one tattoo, but in my brain, he was tattooed from head to toe, and I remember he was just like, bah, 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 and he just he just screamed and just jumped. And I looked at that and I went, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And then, to make me look like even more of a sissy, no joke, somebody, probably this kid, no more than seven years old, he's like, my turn, goes sprinting, and he's like, cannonball! And it was the most perfect cannonball I've ever seen. But usually you do that like at water level. This was 35 feet in the air, and I went, I'm not not doing that. And then have you ever heard of a gainer? Those of you who like to do diving board stunts. This guy went next and he did the most beautiful gainer I've ever seen in my life. It's basically this methodical backflip. And I went, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to sit 
right here in the grass. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But the thought that came to my mind over and over and over is I don't belong. Because I can't do that. And I can't do that. And I can't do that. And I don't look like that. And I don't act like that. And I don't belong. Now, if I could come to today, does this sound familiar? All week long, we walk in a world in which we look to the left and to the right and we think, well, I can't do that. Or I can do that and I can do that better. And we compare ourselves and we begin to think that our value and the way we're measured is completely tied to what we can do. Now, if that describes you or if you resonate with that, it is not your fault. You wouldn't be the first to think that or to have experienced that because that's a dynamic that actually I believe has come into the church. And in fact, it's not just today. It's not like a 2019 thing. This is generations, thousands of years in the making because what had happened is long, long, long ago when God said to his people, hey, I want you to live worthy of my name and I am a holy God. Whenever people fell short of that, God really put in place a system of blood sacrifice. And if you fell short of God's standard, then a blood sacrifice was offered in the form of an animal. And so people would make these sacrifices over and over and over to be made right with God. And this no doubt would have been uh, probably traumatic, probably shocking for people the first time they had to do it. But time went on. And as time went on, you see in the Old Testament, something began to happen that there was the sacrifice that was made, but it completely missed the point of what God desired. It completely missed the point of what God desired. And finally, he had spoken up in, in different ways, different forms, said it different ways, but there was a prophet of his named Hosea. And Hosea, in ver or chapter six of Hosea, God said something to the people that nailed it. Here's what he said. He said, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And some translations say, for I desire the heart, not what you do. Another translation says, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. And there's a little clarification as you finish that verse. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. What had happened was the people, as they got so focused on, if I just make a sacrifice, I'll be right with God, the focus became the sacrifice and what I can do. And it became this very empty ritual that people carried out. As long as I just do this, then I'm good with God. And God said, you know what got separated in the process? Your heart. And I desire the heart. I have mercy for the heart. That's what I desire. Now, by the time Jesus came along, this, this continued because the people, it was like they looked at God and said, no, God, you're confused. You're confused. You desire sacrifice, not mercy. And so they continued to operate that way. And by the time Jesus came along, he showed up in a world that even the children were being brought up with this emphasis on what they could do. In fact, Jewish children at around age six, they would enter, basically it'd be like first grade, and they would begin their learning. And what they would do 
is the, the first part of this learning is they would learn what was called the Torah. It's the first five books of what we have in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they did not just learn it. They learned it by heart. They memorized Genesis, Exodus, I'm flipping backwards, but you get the point. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by heart. How are you feeling about your homework now? How are you feeling about that workplace presentation you have this week now? And what would happen is many of them would stop their learning process there, and they would begin, they would begin to go and learn their family trade. And they would hone the skills that would, they would eventually make a career out of. And they'd begin going to make money. But those who are like the cream of the crop of that first part of learning, what would happen is they would enter a second stage of learning. And they were invited to. And they were encouraged to learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis through Malachi. I'm just kidding, it's Malachi, all right? It's a little Bible humor for you, all right? Anyway, Genesis through Malachi, they would learn this. At that point, many of those would go and learn their family trade, and they would go and hone the skills that they would take into basically their lifelong career. But the best of the best of the best they were invited to do something else. And, and this would be like if you see a little league football player who's just so incredible at the little league level. And then they go into the high school level and they're just so dominant at the high school level. They get a scholarship and they go to college to play football. And they're incredible there. This is like being eligible for the NFL draft. You're ready for the professionals. And so those who got through that process, who didn't go to the learn their family trade, they would now go find a teacher, a rabbi, and they would apply to be a follower of that rabbi. And rabbis all had different interpretations of what the scripture that all, all of these who were applying to him had just learned all these years. And so a rabbi could sum up his interpretation of the scriptures by pointing at a few different select passages. And that rabbi's interpretation was called their yoke. And so anytime a disciple followed a rabbi, they were under that rabbi's yoke. And rabbis would grill those who basically applied to them, and, and they'd ask them questions. And at the end of that questioning process, the rabbi would go, you know what, you better go learn your family trade, because I'm just not sure this is going to work. But to those that were just the best of the best of the best of the best, They'd say, follow me. Now, can I step out of the ancient world into this world for a minute? Does that sound at all like what you walk through the rest of the week? Let me take it a step further. Does that sound at all like a church experience you've ever had? To where you showed up and you looked around and it felt like this just feels like the best of the best of the best of the best. And who am I? Who am I? See, and here's why. Because we continue to think and continue to think that God desires sacrifice, not mercy. And so what we do is we associate having a part in the body of Christ 
with making it a performance and about checking the boxes and doing what we can. And I thought, yeah, that's silly. Like, I'd never deal with that. Okay, have you heard of, on your phones, do you have, there's a Bible app called YouVersion. Okay, maybe you've heard of it, maybe not. Well, YouVersion, what they did to motivate people to engage with their app is they started tracking streaks of how many days in a row you access their app. And I thought, that's silly. That's so silly. I mean, that's just, that's just an effort to try to get people to engage the app every single day. And then one day, I got this notification on my phone. It said, congratulations, Nathan. You have accessed God's word 10 days in a row. I was like, oh. Well, I got to keep that going. And so each day I would get this notification from you version, and I'd be like, well, I'm going to access the Bible app. I don't know what verse I'm reading right now, but I'm 11 days in a row now. And then I'm 12 days in a row. And I'm 13 and 14 and 15. And I got that thing up to like 150 something. And then one day, it was just a busy day. And uh, I, had, I had opened this, but I hadn't opened the app. And I got this notification that said, sorry, your streak ended. Was my heart disappointed about like any verses I missed out on? No, my heart was disappointed that the number, it reset. Because see, we can make, we can make being a part of and engaging with God and his heart and his word, we can make that more of a performance than actually engaging the heart of God, than actually acknowledging God in what we're doing. Now, I gave you all that background because it so sets up what happened one day as Jesus, he had come on the scene and he's walking up the road and he is a rabbi, which means people would come to him. They could look at him and go, that's a rabbi and I want to follow him. So I need to go show him what I know. And Jesus is walking up the road and that's where we're going to jump in today. This is Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, from where he was at, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at, and this next phrase is very big, the tax collector's booth. A little more context here. Thank you for bearing with me. All right, so tax collectors, what happened was Rome would sell people the right to collect taxes. And, and so Rome wasn't, was, basically wasn't collecting the taxes, but they had people doing it for them. And they would even have Jewish people collecting taxes from Jewish people. And so they would go around, and Rome had a tax for everything, absolutely everything. I mean, there was a road tax. There was an income tax. There was property tax. There was port tax. There was a wine tax. Bread was taxed. Fruit was taxed. Double stuff Oreos were taxed. Scrunchies were taxed. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of it was taxed. True story. This is... This is just kidding. All right, but you get the point. Everything was taxed. And by the end of paying all those taxes, you'd likely look around and go, where's the money? I mean, what do I have left to live on? But that wasn't the end because you know what tax collectors, the reason they paid for the right to collect taxes is because it gave them their own pyramid scheme. It really did. They could go out and hire other tax collectors to collect taxes on their behalf, and they would just put a surcharge on top of whatever Rome was taxing people. And so you had tax collectors who were getting rich on the taxes that everybody else was paying and on the work everybody else was doing. 
And that's why this is big, because Jesus comes up to Matthew, and he says, you ready? You make me sick. I'm just kidding. He doesn't say that. You need to read your Bible, okay? He doesn't say that. But think about it for a minute. Do you picture him saying that to you? I mean, here's Matthew, and he's like, he's like the worst. I mean, he's really not even making an honest living. And he, he falls way short of the best of the best. And Jesus says something to him, but I think oftentimes in my mind, I imagine him saying, you're terrible. Like, you, you so fall short. Remember that time you took advantage of? Remember that time that you betrayed? Remember that time? Remember that thought? Remember all that? That's not what Jesus says. Look at the next phrase. This is the rabbi saying to the tax collector, follow me. Follow me? I mean, anybody who would have been standing around, anybody who knew that Jesus was a rabbi would have gone, follow? Jesus, you're a rabbi, so nobody needs to tell you what it takes to be a disciple of a rabbi in this culture. And you're going to go to the tax collector and say, follow? Like, Matthew, Matthew never even qualified. He wasn't even one of the good enoughs when he was learning the Jewish scripture. He had the opportunity to go learn his family's trade, and he shunned that. He decided to go take advantage of and put a surcharge on the taxes of everybody else's work. He's, he's not good enough. In fact, he's not even good. He's got cooties. He's got, like, tax collector cooties. He's disgusting. He's filthy. And Jesus said, no. He, he's eligible to follow me. And maybe this next part is the piece that just, I just can't get over. Last part of that verse. And Matthew got up and followed him. Wait, wait, wait. Matthew got up and followed him? <laughs> like, that's not the story you hear from people when you interact with them during the week. And they find out you go to church, and maybe you've asked somebody to come to church. What's that response you usually get? Oh, not me. You don't want me there. I mean, the place would fall down. It would just fall down if I walked through the doors. But Matthew, Matthew sensed something different about Jesus to the point that Matthew, fully aware of what, he had, what his life was about and what he'd made of his life, Matthew got up and followed him. Because maybe there was something about Jesus that invited Matthew that when he heard the words, follow me, he believed it. I don't know if this is the first time they encountered one another or if maybe they had known each other before, but something inside Matthew went, I believe him. I believe he wants me to follow him, regardless of what I've done with my life and what decisions I've made and what I've been about. I believe him, so I'll follow him. Well, it gets worse. It actually gets worse. You ready? So verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Many? I mean, Jesus, it's bad enough that you got Matthew. And now it's like he's dragging in all the roadkill. Like anybody watching this would have been like, what are you doing, Jesus? And yet for Matthew, you know what this would have been like? 
Well, this probably would have been like standing at the top of the cliff and looking at what others were doing and going, I can't do that, but I'll jump. I'll take that jump into whatever Jesus is telling me to follow into. But the tax collectors and sinners are gathering at the house, and I always think it's just such a funny phrase. Because you have sinners, like maybe murderers, or maybe people that have stolen something, or they've just done something that's so just morally terrible. And there's a separate category. It was like sinners and tax collectors. I mean, sinners most of the time probably walked around going, at least I'm not a tax collector. And yet here they are, they're all gathered, and Jesus is hanging out with them. And anybody watching this would have been like, and you eat with them? Like that's another level of relationship. That's another level of intimacy. Jesus, what are you doing and what are you about? Well, I think that the Pharisees really speak on our behalf on this next part. They ask a question that I think we've all probably asked in some form, in some way. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because to a Pharisee, I mean, think about it. A Pharisee was like the best of the best of the best. And they turned around and actually taught all they knew. They taught their knowledge to people, but they also held it over people's heads many, much of the time. And they're looking and they're going, what? Like, what have the tax collectors and sinners ever done? What have they done that qualifies them to follow you, Jesus? And I'm sure the tax collectors and sinners were just as puzzled, and you and I, we can get real puzzled, can't we? And I think Jesus may be in his mind, and this is just me wondering, I wonder if he just thought, what if this isn't about what you thought it was about? What if this whole time you've been thinking it's about sacrifice? And it's actually about mercy. See, the way we approach Jesus and the way we approach being part of the church, the body of Jesus, has everything to do with how we approach people in our hearts. And how we approach people in our hearts has everything to do with how we approach Jesus. When you picture Jesus walking up to you, do you hear you make me sick? Or do you hear, follow me? Follow me. I want to actually fellowship with you. I, I would love to sit down and eat with you. I, I was reminded of this. I recently read a story. Have you heard of the Iditarod? It's the dog sled race in Alaska. And it's amazing because every single year, the Iditarod is really about a competition. And there, there's uh, money to be won, there are trophies to be won, there's an incredible legacy. You write your place in history, especially for those who are fans of the Iditarod and follow it. But the Iditarod never started as a race, and I just thought this was so fascinating. Back in 1925, hundreds of children in Nome, Alaska, actually contracted diphtheria, and there was no cure for diphtheria at the time. And so what would happen was trains would, they developed this vaccine or the serum, and trains would take the vaccine as far as the train tracks would go. 
But there came a point where the train had to stop and they had to hand off in 1925 300,000 units of this life-saving serum for these hundreds of kids in Nome, Alaska. And they handed it they handed it to these guys that would drive these dog sleds. And so 150 dogs and 20 dog sledders carried this serum to all these children in Nome, Alaska, and they did it in a time that has still never, to this day, almost 100 years later, it has never been matched. Because mercy does something. See, when it's about mercy, there is a quickening and there is a sharpening in us. Because it takes on greater meaning than the performance. And Jesus, he looked around and he said, you guys, you know, God has said this a few times. But it's not about sacrifice. It's not about checking the boxes and it's not about what you do. It's about mercy. And so having overheard the Pharisees asking this question, Jesus continues on hearing this. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. I mean, can you imagine a doctor opening his practice and saying to his secretary, look, anybody can come in, they just can't be sick, all right? And we're going to charge them. We're going to charge them. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then to the teachers, to the Pharisees, he says, but go and learn. Ooh, that's hard to hear if you're a teacher, but go and learn what this means. And here's that verse from earlier that God spoke through Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And at that point, I'm sure anybody in that room would have gone, wait, wait. So it's not about what Matthew can do. So it's not about Matthew getting his act cleaned up. He says, no. No, it's about mercy. See, sacrifice if we approach people with a sacrifice mindset, and if Jesus approached us with a sacrifice mindset, you know what that says? It says, if you change, come be a part. If you change, come be a part. But mercy, that's different. Mercy says, come be a part, and you'll be changed. Come be a part. It's an invitation. Come be a part, and you will be changed. I will never forget the day I prayed a prayer to accept Jesus as my Savior. I was in junior high, and we were in a different state, and I remember praying that prayer, and then there was like nothing, nothing for years until I got to high school. And honestly, I didn't really think much about God. Maybe it was in and out of my brain from time to time, but it wasn't until I, I became part of the body of Christ that some changes began to happen. And I began to understand just how much, just how much, this is about mercy, not about sacrifice. But even in churches, we can make it so much about sacrifice that we overlook something far more powerful, the mercy that God has on us and on everybody else. He says, that's why. That's why it's far better to be a part of than a part from. You want to know my favorite part of Matthew's story? My favorite part of Matthew's story, and I just picture him walking around heaven, however that works right now. I picture him walking around with a Bible going, look, you know, you guys, you knew, you knew all this, but I got to write this. 
Isn't that incredible? That the tax collector, the tax collector, because he was a product of mercy, he got to write part of the story, and it has Jesus all over it. It's one of the best known, best, most referenced books in Scripture because he's a product of mercy. So leads me to another question I want to ask you this week. Who, who have you written off? Who have I written off? And for many in here, I would guess that that face is the face in the mirror. Because as we've engaged church, we've thought, I can't do that, so I don't belong. And I don't do that, so I don't belong. And I don't act like that, so I don't belong. And you got to know that Jesus, he looked at you the day he went to the cross, and he said, I made it about sacrifice. I took, I became the sacrifice so that you wouldn't have to anymore. You get to be, you have the freedom to be about something far more powerful, mercy now. I imagine there are also some faces or maybe groups of people or types of people that are running through our minds right now that maybe we've written them off, that they would never set foot in church. They never could. You want to know why? Because we have a sacrifice mindset. And Jesus says we have to learn what it means that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. And so there we were at the top of the cliff that day, and I had just watched uh, Tattoo Man scream and go running off the cliff and then I watched seven-year-old boy cannonball off the cliff. And then I watched this other guy do the most perfect gainer I'd ever seen off the cliff. And then there was a man that I believe was probably 50 or 60 years old. He walked up and he said, can I try? And people backed up and said, sure. And I will never forget, this guy walked to the edge of the cliff and he did the most highly sophisticated trick yet. We call it the pencil <laughs> the pencil is when you just jump and just do this. And that's all he did. And I am convinced the loudest cheer that day was for that guy. And when I saw that, I remember thinking, all right, if that's okay, then maybe. Then maybe. But I was still sitting down, and I'm telling you, it wasn't even on my own power. Something picked me up. I don't mean a person, like something picked me up and I had no control of my legs and I walked and got in line to make this jump. And it was during that time that I don't know his name to this day, but this guy walked over and we had an incredible, life-changing really conversation. But I'll tell you about that next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for the story that you write in every single one of our lives, but there is this common thread that when we look at who you connected with and who you affected and who you drew to you, there is an element of mercy. And so I ask for anybody who has never known it, that you would point them, maybe for the first time, it could be years in church or first time in church, of what this is really all about that you made the perfect sacrifice once and for all so that we would be free not to hold others to a system of sacrifice, 
It's an obsolete system, but that now, that now you would flood our hearts for mercy, for a mission of mercy. And so I pray that whether it's somebody sitting here today or somebody that you have yet to bring here, but you're bringing them and they're coming and you have plans to bring them through the doors, that all would know your sacrifice on our behalf on the cross and that this church that this would be a church that so leaps into a giant, not lake full of water, but your lake full of mercy. Let us be soaked and drenched in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name.